Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations. My name is Kaylee Kukla, and I've spent more than a decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of three, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my professional knowledge coming from over a decade of work experience with my master's degree in early childhood special education and combining it with real mom life, not just the theory, to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations and you'll gain practical tools that will inspire you to get to the heart or the core of your child's behavior and make simple, yet impactful changes. So let's dive in together. Okay, welcome back to another core parenting conversation. And today we have something that is different from the usual topics of conversation. Today, we're going to talk about our family's experience in the NICU when our third son was born in May. The reason why I wanted to share parts of this story with listeners, uh, with you, is because I think I've noticed in my adult life within my community, there's become a lot of families that unexpectedly go into crisis, whether that be a sick baby who's in the NICU, a sick child that goes in the PICU with cancer, for example, a family member with cancer, it just seems like the ripple effects are felt far within the communities. And everybody always asks, what can I do? How can I help? So I wanted to take our family's experience with going through something like that, very unexpected, and give you some tangible things that really helped us so that you can feel empowered after this podcast to confidently show up for people who are in great times of need, because I think that's how we perpetuate healing in this world, especially as we go into the holidays. I know holidays can be particularly time difficult for families experiencing traumatic events or grief. And I just want to put more healing and love and support in the world because I truly believe that's how we change the world. So I've brought on a couple of very special guests who are experts on this topic with me. My husband, Nicholas Kukla, life partner, co-parent, and my sister, Kelsey Baird. She's here to join us. Kelsey brings two things. Well, you bring a ton of things, but two primarily expert fields to this situation. You're my sister. You were there shortly after he was born. You held us through the first week, which we're going to talk about. And you were a NICU nurse for how many years? 11. 11. I was like 11, 12. I don't remember. (laughs) Um, So you came into this like expert and were very familiar with everything that we weren't familiar with. So tell people a little bit just about what you did and what you're doing. And then we'll go ahead and get started with our story. I was a NICU nurse for 11 years. And I just left the NICU last summer to pursue becoming a family nurse practitioner. So I've been in school full time doing that and then brought me back to the NICU. So in May, we said, oh, 
Nicholas and I are going to tell the story just to set the stage uh, so people understand what what happened and the critical nature of what happened. And you're going to help me fill in all the jargon because what I learned in the NICU is there is a lot of jargon. And starting with my son's diagnosis of PPHN, I couldn't even remember the letters when they first came in and told us about that. So I guess I'll start by telling the story and then y'all can fill in your perspectives. Because of course, I had those mommy hormones and tunnel vision having just literally just given birth. So he was born on his due date, which was unexpected, but it was a short, quick delivery, uh, three hour labor and Everything about the labor and delivery was totally typical, normal from my previous experiences. Yes, I have fast labors, but that happened with my second as well. So it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Shortly after he was born, it became clear that he was experiencing some respiratory distress. He had some obvious symptoms. I'll share with you what I remember and then Kelsey can explain it a little better, but he was hypothermic. So they were trying to warm him up. He was making a lot of grunting noises when which aren't just cute little newborn noises. They're actually I can't breathe noises. He was having chest retractions. Is that what it's called? Yeah. So it's when you can see each breath they're taking their ribs kind of stick out because they're sucking their stomach in so much. So we call them yes, retractions. Okay. And so Kelsey was there and you wanted a pulse ox on him, right? You you started advocating to get that pulse ox measurement on him to see what was going on, right? Yes. And with what, the what respiratory, does that tell you? Right. So with the respiratory distress, he was showing and just his overall coloring, he wasn't quite as pink yeah, as we wanted. The colors. Right. And so I wanted to see what his oxygen level was in his periphery. And so in the NICU, that's standard. And it's this little device we put on the baby's wrist or foot, and it monitors the percentage of oxygen saturation circulating in the blood. So how much oxygen is getting from the heart to the tips of his toes, essentially going throughout his body? Correct. Yeah. And that was low. That was, I don't even remember what that was. But it wasn't he, was, he was borderline when they first put it on him, maybe 90%. Now for a full-term newborn, that is considered low. We would want it greater than 94%. And then by the time he got to the NICU, it was starting to de- decrease further. Mm-hmm. Which is scary. It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, bit. it just yeah. shows <laughs> it just shows that he is he's needing oxygen. He's needing help breathing because he wasn't able to do it on his own. OK, so fast forward through some of that experience and they came back. The neonatologist came into my room and told me he has PPHN, which is let me see if I can do it. And then you can correct me when I get it, if sure. I get it wrong. Persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. You got it. Yeah. OK, so explain what does that mean? Because <laughs> I don't want to try and mess it up. <laughs> right. So PPHN is a complicated condition. So I'm going to try and keep it brief, but understandable. So in utero, babies don't need their lungs to oxygenate their blood because the placenta is doing that for them. So a small amount, a small per- percentage of blood is going from the heart to the lungs, specifically for growth and development of the lungs. And that's a normal system in utero. Now, once baby comes out and takes their first breath, There's a whole lot of cool chemical processes that happen in the system, and that leads to a relaxation in the blood vessel from the heart to the lungs 
to allow normal blood flow to happen. And then the lungs start oxygenating for the body. Unfortunately, in PPHN, as the name suggests, persistent pulmonary hypertension, that doesn't happen. That relaxation doesn't happen. That blood vessel stays very constricted with high pressures, impeding the blood flow from the heart to the lungs. And therefore, you're not able to oxygenate the rest of the body. So that's the short version of PPHN. So that that's what was happening. And then shortly after, so the standard care is you just, you give the baby oxygen, right? It sounds pretty simple. They tried giving him oxygen. They tried the nose, the cannulas, like just the little nose oxygen way. Right. So a nasal cannula to give supplemental oxygen. Yep. They tried to do the traditional vent, put him on a traditional ventilator. They, and they that, did also CPAP, um, which is okay. a step higher than the nasal cannula. And then, yes, that was not enough support. Therefore, he was intubated. So a breathing tube with a ventilator was started. Mm-hmm. And then that wasn't enough. So they came in and right. told me he needed to be transferred to a higher acuity hospital with higher acuity care because he needed nitric oxide. And that's not standard in all NICUs, right? Correct. So what does nitric oxide do? that a traditional vent doesn't? So nitric oxide is a gas. um, And specifically, it's called inhaled nitric oxide because it can be given in different ways. But for PPHN, it is a gas that is used. Our body actually produces nitric oxide on its own. And that's one of the chemicals that helps to relax this blood vessel. It's very selective for the pulmonary vasculature. And so we can give that as a supplemental gas in addition to oxygen And it's supposed to relax that pulmonary vessel, allowing the supplemental oxygen to then circulate. Okay. So So it's the gold standard treatment of PPHN would be the nitric oxide. Mm -hmm. So there was a closer hospital that had nitric oxide that we considered briefly considered going to because they did not have ECMO. And our neonatologist at the hospital where I delivered strongly suggested going to a children's hospital, um, Nicholas Children's Hospital in Miami, where they're, I mean, y'all, we spend five weeks there. It's just an amazing place where incredible healing happens, but they also have access to ECMO. So I want to fast forward a little bit and, and Nicholas, you can jump into whatever the experience is, but we got down to Miami. You tell us about how you got down to Miami, just so people, and the reason why I want to tell the story a little bit is this is just how critical, how quickly it got so critical so quickly and how unexpected it was because I had no predisposition. This, Ray, this isn't something you can necessarily know is going to happen when the baby comes. To put it in context, it, it happens to maybe one to two babies out of a thousand. It's a very rare condition. And to, to be as severe as was experienced is even higher odds, lower odds. Right. And I had the, sm- yeah, the small amounts of any sort of correlated issues that could cause uh, are correlated with PPH and I did not have and he did not experience. There was no aspiration. So we were really, really had to switch gears really quickly. So Nicholas, how did you get to switch gears? Yeah, well, so uh, as, soon as, like. <laughs> uh, as soon as Elle and I went to uh, NICU at, at our hospital, we ended up quickly realizing that we're going to get transported down to Miami. So the easiest way, fastest way when you get from where we live to Miami is not on I-95, it is by air. <laughs> so we uh, had a helicopter sent our way 
the first round of the helicopter experience did not go as planned. One of the, the, the vital pieces of equipment, the nitric oxide machine, uh, actually broke when they got to the hospital. And so we held on strong and we had to wait until they literally flew back down south picked up a new machine, brought it on back to us. And so obviously as this whirlwind is going on and uh, kind of just us waiting uh, in NICU together, you know, we were obviously extremely lucky that you had a not complicated delivery. So you were actually able to be transported, not drive, you know, driven, but transported with Kels down to Miami. And so while you guys were getting transported down there, and we're making calls and trying to, you know, figure out family support, and who's going to have our other two big boys, all of that. So this is all happening in real time. You know, the, the helicopter team, medical team uh, showed up. They did. I was stunned uh, at the amount of lines and cords and, you know, everything, all in this tiny little glass case, or, you know, not glass, but probably plexiglass case. And just the intricacy of which they had to work to get him on the hospital or in, onto the helicopter, rather. Uh, was mind-blowing. And so it was my first helicopter ride. Uh, it was at sunset. So I, I would say, you know, typically as a tourist, I would uh, you'd pay big dollars for that helicopter ride down the coast over the beaches, looking at the inlets. Yeah, but for me, I guess having that view out the window uh, was, it was comforting. Uh, it was, you know, I was just kind of watching them work uh, on our son and knowing that you were getting transported down there that we were going to a world-class hospital. Uh, just one of those things where you had to, you know, stay strong and enjoy, enjoy that ride. Uh, and so it took us 45 minutes and we were down on the roof of the, of the hospital and we actually timed it perfectly and met you and Kels right there as we got transported down to the hospital. So I think something that you said that I wasn't even planning on highlighting quite yet, but it was so beautiful is that like, I remember sitting in the room when all of this was going on, right? Because I still had to, be checked on. And I mean, I was post literally hours postpartum. So I couldn't necessarily be in the NICU 100% of the time I had to come back. And my incredible doctor, because I had such an uncomplicated delivery, uh, was willing to discharge me within hours of delivery. Um, Also, he knows me and knows that I was going to be with a couple of nurses, a couple of RNs. And I think that also gave him peace of mind that I would be safe. And if there were any complications for me, I could get the help I needed. So with all that said, you know, the first lines of support that other than just presence and having those close to us be present was we put the call out and family and friends immediately started moving to make sure our boys were taken care of. You know, we didn't have to figure out the logistics of how we were going to get down to Miami my mother-in-law figured that out for us and had that car ready to go for us to drive my sister and I down. Also, the boys, you know, we were in contact with the school and my in-laws and and people had it all together where everybody was willing to pitch in and, and just make sure the care was, at least for those initial 48 hours or 24 hours, was, was figured out while we just kind of stood up yeah. and took a breath and figured out what was going on. Because then once we got down there, um, he was considered critical, but stable. So they got him on nitric oxide. Um, and he was pretty stable for the first 24 hours. The second night we were there, things became very unstable. And this is where I don't really know what happened, honestly, to this day, because all I knew was by 6, 7am that morning, 
my baby was crashed. There was a lot of beeps. There was a lot of medication being given. And before, I'd say by 7.30 that morning, we had at that point two shifts of nurses because of course it happens right at 7.30 when the poor nurses are supposed to go off shift. Right. <laughs> and they, they don't leave. They, they stayed to help save my baby. And so we had two shifts of NICU nurses. PICU came down because they were going to transport him right then and there to pick you for ECMO. So Kelsey, you actually got on the phone and this was another, I want to speak directly to people with any kind of medical background right now on how you can be so supportive because we are very fortunate and we have a lot of friends who work in the medical field, our nurses, our EMTs, our doctors. And so you actually helped me understand what was going on when the other medical professionals didn't have time to explain it to me. They were basically, is that considered the code? Was he coding? I don't even know. He was not coding. And so I wasn't allowed in the NICU. That's the role of English children's. So I didn't get to see all the detailed things that were happening, which would have given me better context as well. But yes, one of the nurse practitioners who'd been on through the night um, took the time to get on the phone with me and give me a very quick rundown of everything they had done through the night and how he had responded. And that way I was able to break it down for the family. And that's just incredible care. I mean, that is amazing that she was able to do that. So he was not necessarily coding per se, but it was, he was not stable anymore. And what had gone on through the night was he just started needing more and more support. So the nitric, which had initially allowed things to stabilize a little bit, wasn't quite giving enough support or relief of that blood vessel and other complications were starting to happen, such as peripheral blood pressure was dropping and therefore oxygenation again becomes an issue. He was, how we would refer to it as maxed out on everything. So he's on the highest form of ventilation on the highest settings. They had given him fluid support. He was on multiple blood pressure medications. And so he was moving in the direction of of needing ECMO, which we can, I don't know when you want to talk about that, but So, well, let's pause because I want to just make sure, you know, the support we were given. So what had happened at that point is because he baby had been stable, Nicholas went home to be with our two older boys, because again, we had told the boys from the beginning, mommy and daddy would be in the hospital with the baby for a couple of days, a couple of nights, and then we would come home. And because he was stable, I obviously was not the choice to go home because I I had just given birth. I couldn't be hands on with our boys. So Nicholas was the obvious choice to go home and be with them. And I would stay with um, baby so I could pump and, and heal. But then what happened was you couldn't just leave the boys high and dry and abandon them. And even though things were getting un- really unstable, so having someone be, sit with me. So that day basically unfolded. I don't even know how to explain it other than there were, there was a team of people. We were transported down to PICU because they only do ECMO in PICU. And we can explain what ECMO is once we get to the part where he goes on it because he does end up on ECMO. And there were probably anywhere from five to 10 people in his room all day. So it started at like 6.30 in the morning and they started the ECMO surgery around 8.30 that night. So it was about 14 hours of this kind of uh, chaos. 
chaos and in, intensity. Control chaos. And I wasn't allowed in the room because they had to make it a sterile field. They were doing some surgical procedures to get lines started in him and all this stuff. But there was a window. I mean, I was, we were watching this. So having someone just come sit with me was so important to keep my sanity. So that's where Kelsey drove down and she sat with me because you were allowed in the PICU. PICU and NICU rules are a little bit different at this hospital. Obviously, every hospital has different rules. And what I wanted to point out, I think the biggest thing is at that point, so many family and friends knew I had the baby. This word, you know, it's like a, the grapevine, right? Or the, is that what it's called? The grapevine when everybody finds out. And they knew that there were complications we were being transported. So all these well-intentioned family and friends were texting me, asking me what is going on. And I think that's the first thing I want to highlight is asking someone who's in crisis mode what's going on is completely overwhelming. Um, it's like asking a tantruming child, what do you want right now? We are fully in survival mode. And we don't know how to articulate it. And I wasn't even sure what was going on. And so that was just so overwhelming to me. So something you did, Kelsey, and maybe you can explain this more. And I, maybe there's parts I'm not even aware of, is you started disseminating information to certain point people like our mom, like other family members, so that they then could, it could filter out to everybody else who really cares and wants to know. But there is zero way I would have had, I had over like 90 text messages that day. And I'm watching my baby fight for life. And there's no way I could text back to everybody. So how did you do that? How did you manage that? Um, yeah, it was a lot. That, it was a lot of communication. And it's overwhelming. I mean, even yeah. for the for Nicholas as well, like for those of us who were in it and trying to drive and manage, you know, all of that, it's, it's overwhelming. Like you said, yes, there were point people. So it was like, who needs to know this information? Right. Because who is helping coordinate everything and supporting those who are supporting y'all, you know? So it was like, I had a couple of group texts with our parents, I believe even with Nicholas's parents. And then our closest friends, like friends from childhood. And then those subsequent people had group texts. And so it was just kind of, they were updating folks, but it was also trying to, to give y'all privacy too. It's everybody didn't need to know all the details of what was happening every hour of the day. And so it was trying to find that balance of here's the information, but we also just need to, to leave it at that for now. I would throw in too there, Kelsey, that, you know, this was changing by the legit second, yeah. you know, by oh, the yeah. minute. And so you go through this elaborate, this group, and then yeah. all of a sudden we go the 100%, 180, turn around, go the other direction. And it's just, so the information that we're giving is, you know, it's inconsistent because it's so real time. And so it just becomes, you know, even harder to communicate. Good point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I think, you know, for people to think about how to support people who may be in this critical point, like maybe a family member is going in to, to find out a diagnosis, or maybe a child has just brought in for some horrific trauma that's happened, or a mom like me has now wound up in the NICU, and you have the urge to reach out. There were friends and families who just shot me a text and said, hey, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. 
and there wasn't any question. So I got that energy, you know, I got that support. I felt their love and without having to feel like I needed to respond. And I'll even put now when I send out text messages like that, please, no need to respond. I just want you to know that you're on my mind and I'm sending you a lot of love and prayer. And right, like I think that's still so impactful, but it also takes off this pressure that we can feel even in the midst of this horrendous event to reply, which can add to the overwhelm inadvertently with the best of intention. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe it was just me because I am so like sensitive to that stuff, but no, and I, I do the same thing. I think that's a really important part of it is I, you don't want any other stress or expectation, expectation. Thank you. That's put on the person going through what they're going through. So just sending good vibes, prayers, positive thoughts, whatever, but please don't feel like you need to respond unless you want to and leave it at that. And I would even say, hey, so-and-so texted me. Can you just add them to the group text or have mom Mm. text them that like, you know, I, I would, that was so great with what we eventually wound up with was everybody had certain people they were communicating with and informing of what was happening. So it eventually reached the people that maybe they weren't intricate into our day-to-day coordination and logistics, but they still really were invested in our well-being and really wanted to know what was going on. Yeah. Okay. All right. So he wound up in ECMO that night. I already gave it away. Around 8.30, the surgery started. Nicholas, you got there. You were finally able to make it down after getting our boys settled while the surgery had already started, right? Is that right? It was just as the surgery was basically going on. Yeah. Yeah. I did not get to fly in a helicopter that time. So I was stuck in traffic and, you know, we got there uh, and he was again, closed off so I couldn't enter, but I did peek in and I I saw him getting work done. So, yes. Okay. So at that point, so at this particular hospital in their PICU and NICU, they're all private rooms and there is a, they call it a bed. It's really a fold-down couch for parents to sleep on. And yes, two people can sleep. They have like an upper level and a lower level, but it's very not comfortable. <laughs> so at that point, I think we were all in agreement that I needed to go to a hotel that night because I hadn't slept the night before because I had heard all the beeping of him being crashy. <laughs> Unstable. <laughs> Unstable. Yes. What do you call them? Tricky. What do you call those babies? <laughs> oh, they're naughty kiddos. They're being naughty. Yeah, <laughs> no, no negative connotation. Just no. he was he was challenging the team. <laughs> <laughs> so he was being tricky that night. So I had not slept the night before. At this point, I was like 48 hours postpartum. I had just been through horrific trauma. I think because of what Kelsey and I do professionally, we were very acutely aware of um, postpartum psychosis. And we knew how important sleep was for me. It was, however, extremely important to me that he was never left alone in the ICU. So Nicholas and I spent most of the nights there while my sister and my mom stepped in to relieve. And I just want to say that if you don't have a sister and mom who are ready or able or available to do this, you know, that that could be a practical way that someone supports a friend is I'll sleep in the hospital for you if that's an option. If you don't want your baby to be left alone, because 
psychosis is real, you know, like already just adding to the stress of not getting sleep is, is a real big concern. So I did go back to the hotel and slept that night as much as I could, but much better than I would have in the hospital. Okay, let's explain ECMO. And then we're going to dive into just focusing on supports because it's a happy ending. He He's home with us. He's healthy. There's not a lot of health concerns moving forward with him. But explain the ECMO so people can really understand like this was rock bottom that day when he wound up on it. This core conversation is made possible through Kaylee's core membership program. If you find yourself soaking up the information in this podcast and others, but still grapple with questions like, how do I get my kid to listen? What happens when I try that and it doesn't work? Or if you just crave like-minded and like-hearted parents who are also on this wild parenthood journey, you found your place in core. I take the theories and strategies and I'm constantly adapting them and applying them to real life through monthly deep dives, handouts, workbooks, and live Q&As. So if you want to take your parenting with intention to the next level, or you just need more support, check out CORE at www.kayleekukla.com backslash C-O-R or head to the show notes for the link. ECMO is the real scary stuff. It stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, and it is a form of life support. So ECMO is not a cure and certainly not for the PPHN. It is used to give the body time so that the support, the tools and therapies that we have can actually work. And sometimes, and in this case, his little body was just not able to keep up. So essentially it acts as the body's heart and lungs for the baby or whoever. This is also used on adults, but, and so do you want me to go into what happens or just leave it at that? It it is doing the oxygenation for the body, for the So the blood has to be taken out of the body, which is what the surgery is. Yeah. You can explain that. And and ECMO is not my, I am not the expert in ECMO because again, I was NICU and this was not done in any of the NICUs I worked in. This was always done in PICU. So if I had done all the things I could do as a NICU nurse and they needed ECMO, they left our unit. But catheters or very large tubes are inserted into the large vessels in the neck generally. And a large portion of the blood is taken out of the body, oxygenated through all the machines that um, make up ECMO, and then it is then it go, flows back into the baby or to the patient, allowing oxygen to get to all the major organs and everywhere that it needs to go. So it's you've heard of bypass, like for heart surgery kind of thing. It's a similar. It's that concept of it's oxygenation happening outside of the body a heart and lung outside of the body. So you get a nurse when you're, when you have a loved one on ECMO, there's a nurse for the patient and there's the nurse for the ECMO machine. That's how technical it is. And these nurses, I know all of them still by name. He was on ECMO for three days and they are angels on earth. And some of the the smartest people I've ever met. And to find individuals with that amount of compassion and that amount of knowledge and expertise is just 
I get goosebumps thinking about it still today. Like they're some of the greatest people I've ever had the experience meeting in my life. And we sat in the room with them for their 12 hour shift. You know, we were, we were there. (laughs) So yeah, it was, it was really crazy. So let's talk about this was the scene. And then we stayed there for four more weeks while he got stronger and learned how to eat and came off all the machines. He's off all the machines now. He's like, he's hitting milestones, y'all. He's he's five months. He's recognizing his primary caregivers. He smiles when we walk into the room. He laughs. He plays. He makes eye contact. He's tracking all of these things that we weren't sure if he'd ever be able to do. He's doing. So it's truly a miracle. And so the point of this is to really just highlight all of the supports through those five weeks. And, and that was where we started and, and then continued support. It was a marathon. Like it felt like the, the critical nature was the sprint of like seven days. And then after that, it was endurance. And so our needs for support shifted a lot. And like you were saying, Nicholas, like it was so hard to keep people updated because it was so changing. And so ultimately, after about a week of people reaching out and saying, well, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? We just need to create a GoFundMe because our needs as a family were shifting so quickly and we wanted to give people a way to support us, but didn't have the wherewithal to coordinate that support. Right. I mean, it was and it felt weird asking people for money, but people genuinely wanted to lend a helping hand. And that was the most practical because what did we need? Like, what were the things we desperately needed <laughs> while we were down there? Well, I didn't even know what Uber Eats was until the hospital. But Uber Eats was amazing. So, you know, you, you use those funds to, you know, get something other than a NICU bench to sleep on. So, you know, Airbnbs, we had a couple weeks within that five week span, two or three weeks that we had that lodging, which was huge. Uber Eats, food, obviously, my own life support. That That's amazing. Um, and we were able to just pick and choose wherever we wanted to eat. And which I think is important because when you think about your own health and sanity and going and doing that endurance, you don't want to eat. I mean, Nicholas Children's is world class, but it's also cafeteria food, right? You don't feel you have that for five weeks straight. And so being able to choose those healthier options. I think it's a couple of sleep. It allows you as a parent to work, you know, your most efficiently and, you know, you can be there for your kiddos better when you're taking care of yourself. So I think, I think that we shouldn't overlook the fact that you do need to be selfish when you're in these situations and you, you yeah. need that sleep. You need that healthier food options. And so anyway, so basically that GoFundMe was, it was amazing to just, have a really instantaneous support network of financial, you know, support network to offer us more flexibility while we were in our stay in Miami. I said I wasn't going to cry during this, but the support was so moving. And a girlfriend of mine was literally just, and she did this. She texted me and she said, you tell me when and I'll set up the GoFundMe. And she gave me space. She gave both of us space to kind of come to terms with, okay, some financial support would be helpful. And I gave her the word and she set it up and she did it. And the Airbnb, I just went, you know, because there were nights where we just, one of us was always sleeping in the hospital. But then during the weekends, you know, we had two boys two hours away. So we got to the point where we would bring them down. We, one of us would pick them up from school on Thursday after school and they would miss Friday because this is the last month of school. So it was only a few Fridays they missed and the school was completely supportive and on board with this. 
And I told them they could send schoolwork and they were like, absolutely not. We're not sending schoolwork. Like you just need family time. And so we would bring them down. And so this gave us an ability to have some family time and bring the boys down. For them, it was exciting. They got to go down to Miami. They got to stay in an Airbnb. They got to find and discover new parks. They got adventures. Even Nicholas Children's, because it's a children's hospital, had incredible amenities for kids. So our kids fondly remember the hospital, which is so ironic because for both of us, it's such a place of these really scary moments. But for them, they remember the game room. They remember the crafts they got to do. They remember the special food they got, like the treat and all of these incredible things. So that's what the GoFundMe really allowed us to do. And I wanted to also point out a friend when I was reached out to some friends who I knew had spent time at Nicholas Children's with their own children before. And so I told this mom, you know, I'm looking at Airbnbs. She took it upon herself because again, you have to think like we're, I'm in a stress response, right? I'm in survival mode or maximum in my emotional brain. Like I'm in my limbic system at this point. So making all these considerations of coordinating Airbnbs was a big ask. So she actually took it upon herself to vet the Airbnbs because the biggest thing I wanted was I want to be in walking distance to the hospital because parking was such a nightmare there, right? So driving back and forth was such a stressor. And then I could even walk and do laundry at the Airbnb. I mean, little things like that. They had a laundry facility on site at the hospital, but it was so hard to coordinate. I just wanted to go do my own laundry. And so that seems like such a small thing to do, but that was such a huge help. She actually helped me find two different Airbnbs that we ended up staying in throughout our our five weeks there. That was huge. And then I texted another friend who's from Miami and I said, hey, where is good food around here? I think even though I'm born and raised in South Florida, I think I've spent three days total in Miami at birth. <laughs> I don't know where to go to eat. But having those really good food recommendations was huge. So if you know where the person is in the hospital, like where they are and you have like, hey, here's $50 Uber Eats or whatever you can manage, you know, $10 and you got to check out this restaurant, their chocolate cake is amazing or something, you know, give them that comfort food suggestion. (laughs) Right. We found a lot of good food that way. So what about Nicholas, you and I, when we were kind of prepping for this, what we want to talk about, we also talked about all the support that both of us got when we came home. Because one of us was always trying to be at home with the boys. But that was still really hard. It's incredibly hard, uh, especially when you go 24-7 as a family for years and years and years and years. And all of a sudden, now you are, you know, split between two hours and, you know, 100 miles of traffic. So, you know, going back and forth, obviously, we are, you know, immensely grateful just for the friends and family who who are allowing us to give, give us that flexibility to come and go as we wish. So little things, you know, we had uh, your mom literally adopt our dog for five weeks straight. So all of a sudden we go from having to deal with, you know, one child in the NICU and two kids back at home and the dog to just focusing on kids only. And that was huge. And I think he's over there right now asking to go back to your mom's house. So, you know, it's a great, great place for him. Another, you know, super helpful support thing for me, you know, as someone that still has a career, you know, I have a career, I have to go to work, I have to do things, I have obligations, I, all those things, you know, the flexibility and extra grace that my colleagues gave to me, you know, those extension on deadlines, 
that gave me the freedom to focus on family. Uh, and that was huge. So that's a big, big deal as well. If you have that boss or those colleagues that will give you and grant you that ability to do so, take it because that's 100% what I needed at that time. Obviously, not an expectation, but a simple play date with a friend for the two big boys, for other two big boys, right? You know, whether it be a trip to the water park for the day or whatever it is, it was huge to just not think about everything going on and just be in the moment with the big, big boys. Additionally, I would say, you know, for me, athletics, you know, being able to train, being able to go on a run with a buddy, it might not be the caliber of training that, you know, you're used to, but going on that run, taking care of yourself when you're in the thick of it, it's extremely important if you can do that. And then the simple pickups and drop-offs for kids, when our in-laws took over those responsibilities, that gives me an extra hour of work you know, that I can knock out. And sometimes working late at night, being able to manipulate the schedule, it was a huge thing too. And, you know, when, when we were at home, when I went home. And then when you are in that position, technology was amazing because all of a sudden FaceTiming with our, between family members, it was instantaneous. They felt connected to you. You felt connected to them. And when you're two hours separated, being able to do that, was also extremely valuable. Uh, and it really allowed our big boys to feel like they were part of our little guy's journey when they were not with us every single day of the week. And then I, I would say just from Nicholas Children's, their systematic approach to doing rounds and talking about what was going on with our child, you know, our baby boy was incredibly helpful because all of a sudden now I knew within an hour time frame of the day, I could get on the phone and literally be on speakerphone and hear them go over every system in my baby boy's bot and feel like I was there when I, you know, wasn't there. So again, technology playing in the role there, leveraging that was incredible. Those were all I think something to point out because rounds drastically changed from PICU to NICU because the PICU yes. floor was a teaching floor. So they did rounds in like a teaching manner, which was great because we got to be taught with next to the residents. So we actually learned a lot about pediatric critical care. And then it changed in the NICU because it wasn't teaching, right? It was the attending physician and the nurses and, and the respiratory therapists or whatever therapists were uh, happened to be around because there was a whole team of people a lot. And some things that I just wanted to highlight, practical things that people did that seemed so small. And I think they were kind of surprised by how grateful I was. But I had a girlfriend come over and help me set up the deep freezer. We ordered with some of the GoFundMe money. Like these are things that I, you wouldn't even think about, but I was pumping milk and he wasn't eating. So I literally had hundreds of ounces of milk so much. I maxed out the storage at the hospital basically. And so I was trying to take some home and keep it at home, but we didn't have freezer space. So we bought a deep freezer and here I am a week postpartum, right? So I'm not supposed to be lifting a giant freezer <laughs> or like hauling trash down to the curb. And we actually, he was born on our neighborhood's trash day. So we had two weeks of trash to go out. She came over and helped me set up the deep freezer and helped me take the garbage out and all the boxes and all the packaging that came with the freezer. That was huge. Like I was moved near tears because I was just so grateful to have that 
help. And things like there were people like Kelsey, for example, um, if you're nearby the hospital, I would make a Target order. But then going to Target was so tricky because of the parking situation in the hospital. So having people go pick up things that you order and bring them to you directly at the hospital was just a huge help because I needed a lot of postpartum supply that it was hard to coordinate um, because I, I left so suddenly after he was born and kind of just started living at the hospital. So I think that those are just, you know, the tangible things and the tangible supports that we wanted people to take away was when a family is in crises, I think the most important part for us was for us to just be able to focus on parenting and have any other responsibilities that weren't parenting our two older boys or a child in the hospital um, away. So taking the dog away, the money helped us do like we just did all food delivery, like even groceries were delivered. I could do that on my phone and have them. And then someone was there to unpack them and put them in my fridge if we weren't at the house. You know, I coordinate that with someone. The taking the garbage out, taking care of the animals, taking care of the house, you know, have hiring a cleaning person to come in for the family. All of those helping out with the laundry, like even bringing laundry home from the hospital. There were a couple of times people would take our laundry from the hospital and take it home and do it for us. That was huge too. So these are all really tangible ways that I think just allowed us to focus on ourselves, taking care of ourselves, just eating. I mean, and it was important for me to take a step out of every day, take a step out of the ICU and go on a walk. You know, once I was cleared to be able to be up and moving, I just go on a 30 minute walk around the hospital. Friends who knew me really well would send me lighthearted podcasts. Usually if you like to listen to heavier stuff, but you know, hey, this podcast was really funny listen to this because you just, you've got to escape. There has to be a level of escape. Yeah. Because if like yours was going on runs with friends, I didn't have the option to do a lot of like, usually being physical is one of my outlets. I couldn't. And so even being able to walk and just have that escape, you know, my therapist told me, she's like, don't watch any new shows, watch the ones that you know, what's going to happen, but make you laugh because this is a time, you know, you can't process trauma as you're going through it. Just escape and and give yourself that. Um, and that really that really helped. Okay. And so, I'll, Kelsey, I'll add really quickly kind yeah. of chime in here. So yeah. if I mean if you live if you live near a family member and they go through something like this, I mean just the ability to show up, whatever is asked. And you know, if you have the flexibility to do so, it's incredible. So like our my brother and my sister in law, oh, they were over within twenty four hours. And I want to say my sister ended up staying for like a week. You're, you know, just she she has a flexible career enough to do that, but she took over, you know, uh, and and was that that was absolutely huge. So if you have that uh, relationship with your siblings, you know, and they go through something like this, or it happens to you, and you've got siblings that are relatively close by, and you, they're three hours away from us, that was a, a big thing as well, and it, it allowed us to really systemize what we need to focus on that first week when chaos was, you know, going down. So that was one other and, one I wanted to throw in there. And it gave our boys some really fond memories of what could have been a really traumatic time and was traumatic yeah. in their own ways. And they're still processing it. They'll still randomly bring it up. Our six-year-old just brought something up to me a couple of weeks ago. Like, mommy, why didn't you come home? You told me you were going to come home and then you didn't. So they're still processing it. 
And they have very fond memories and they felt very loved and very supported from everywhere from the school to family members to friends showing up. And, you know, our sister-in-law took them fishing and they thought that was like the coolest thing ever. Every day after school, they'd come home, they'd go over to our in-laws and they'd find a dock and they'd go fishing. And so I think, you know, research shows us that we're going to experience trauma in our life. Like to be human and to live is to at some point experience trauma. Like that's just, we can't escape it. What helps us be resilient ultimately is do we feel supported in those moments? And so that was my goal for this conversation was just coming alongside and saying, here are some really tangible, practical ways that we felt supported and maybe it fits this person's situation or your situation. Maybe it doesn't, but that's what we can do to add healing in the the world. And nothing's too small. Like doing a load of laundry is not too small. Picking up a target order is not too small. Sending someone a text and not asking for anything in return. Sending them a funny podcast and saying, hey, if you need a break, I was cracking up laughing, listening to this. You know, they may or may not listen to it. A comforting song, they may or may not listen to it. But those are just really meaningful ways to show up. And Kelts, from your 11 years, is there anything else? Did you see anything else in your time in the NICU that was also impactful like that, sport-wise for families? Because you saw a lot of families. Yes, a few. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think y'all covered it pretty across the board that especially when there are older children involved, that biggest thing is just to know that you have those safe people to just pick up and try to fill in as best as possible while parents are going through this. The entertainment aspect, yes, because you're at the hospital, you're in this tiny room for hours. Hours. And so having, like you said, light entertainment, whether it's a podcast, shows, familiar shows or funny shows, books, if people are into reading music, arts and crafts, just little things. Adult coloring books. Yes. Adult coloring books. Um, A lot of moms I've seen like crocheting and and things like that. They're making things for their babies or the other aspect that you brought up a time or two, but especially in NICU world, when there's babies involved, mom is a patient. I mean, at least for the first couple of days, mom is not just going through this emotional trauma, but her body has physically just gone through so much. And I think a lot of people do focus on that, but I'm going to then change the direction and bring it back to the dads often get put to the wayside a little bit because you're so focused on mom and baby, but dads are trying to, they're going through the trauma if they're worried about their partner, they're worried about their baby, they're worried about the finances, their job, their other kids, managing everything. And so spend a little extra time talking to the dads if they're open to it. Some are a little more (laughs) so. But I mean, Nicholas is, you know, best friend showing up at the hospital. Like, I look behind me and all of a sudden my best friend's right there. And there he is. And he I drove think two hours. Yeah. And brought right. lunch. Yeah. But I yeah. think you just, you needed that safe person to just, yeah. here is someone who totally. gets it. He's a dad, he has a career. And so he gets it. And for you, I think that was something you needed. And so that. And, you know, and I would say, you know, as a dad, 
don't be afraid to get emotional and get emotional, okay. but you know, you try to be so stoic and you're going through hell and it's okay. You know, it sucks. And you walk around the hospital and you see other dads and they're doing the same thing. Uh, and so I played air hockey with another dad and we were, <laughs> we were literally like crying as we're playing air hockey back and forth. But it, it was this release and it was so important. So don't be afraid. No, validate that for dads, because absolutely, I think they, you've got to be able to let, to release that heavy stuff, because holding it in is not going to help anybody. And snacks, I would just add snacks, which I know y'all had snacks, but that's always helpful, I think, for people to just have And hydration, especially for being like a pumping mom. Oh, Oh, and things like, you know, like pumping supplies. And you made me uh, like out of and I actually like (laughs) I liked the one you made better than the ones that are sold the hands free pumping bras. Because then I would call them my um, power pump and text time, because I would hold all my text messages or all the emails and all the, you know, paperwork stuff. And I would sit and I would save that for a pumping session. And then I would, you know, do 20 minutes on the pump and then answer as many texts as I could in that 20 minutes because I had hands free. So make sure if that mom is pumping. And again, I completely understand why you wouldn't in a times of, of trauma and stress. For me, it was like, this is the one thing I can do that no one else can do for my baby. Like they have all this medicine and all this fancy equipment. No one can make milk just for him like I can. And so that's why I chose to do it. And it honestly, it helped keep me sane. But if it's stressing you out more, it's okay. Like permission to do what you need to find as much mental stability and emotional stability as you can. That helped me. But I can so understand why it would not be helpful for some people. And so I just want to, you know, permission to moms and dads to to do what you got to do. You know, it, if you feel guilty, like some mornings, it was so hard for me to just leave the room to go on a walk, but I would force myself to do it because the few mornings I didn't were always hard, harder days than the days I got out of the room and got fresh air and sunshine and just a break from the beeps and the noise and like all the like the overstimulation and the stress. Yes. And the that thing is atrocious. Yes. That's atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. There's I would a lot of beeps. I would sleep, you know, making sure another practical thing, making sure mom and dad have like good headphones. Headphones. Noise cancellation headphones. Comfortable ones. That's a great gift for them yeah. if they don't already have them. Because in order to get sleep, I would put them in and sleep with like you know, pink noise on in the background, just so I could actually sleep through, get a few hours at night. And honestly, the AirPods were not that comfortable. I think the ones that go over your ears, like the true noise cancellation (laughs) headphones, highly recommend as a gift if this ever happens. (laughs) That would be clutch. Because you will fall asleep with them on and then you can't find the other AirPods. Then it hurts and it It disappeared. (laughs) It's underneath the bench. So headphones, we decided top of the list. Yeah. So headphones like, and food are definitely really running out right now. <laughs> and comfy sweatpants and blankets. Um, All the comfortable clothes. Oh, yeah. 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 Especially for mom being postpartum. Yeah. 
So, okay, this was so beautiful and so meaningful to me. And, you know, I've, I've sat on this for five months, not knowing what, like what I wanted to share with the world. And I just really wound up with, I've read enough stories of families I know in the community going through crisis right now. And I was like, this is what I see all these well-meaning people wanting to know how to help. And if we can share our story through the lens of what kind of support is really impactful and that support helps buffer the trauma and helps people be resilient after trauma, I think that's, this is my first step into sharing it and using it to add healing into the world. Just so much gratitude to this day. The, the gratitude makes me well up with tears because we are so grateful. So thanks. Guys. Family, friends, docs or nurses. Kelsey. Yeah. Y'all are rocks, truly. It was the three of us. It was like Kelsey was such an integral part of, uh, we became a trio for the first couple weeks of just navigating (laughs) this. We had our own group text with the three of us. We did have our group text. With all the most urgent needs. This is true. (laughs) So, all right. Thank you all for giving us your time. Thanks for being here. And I love you both so much. Yeah, Percy says hi. Love you guys. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye.